to People Like Us, a podcast for and about third culture kids everywhere. I'm Jen Mohindra. I'm also a TCK and I have a Facebook group for TCK adults called, unsurprisingly, People Like Us. So hello and on today's episode of People Like Us, I am delighted to be joined by Anna Hedra. Anna, hello, how are you today? Hi Jen, thank you, I'm good, I'm good. I'm feeling really excited for this opportunity and um, more than ready to share my story. Fantastic, well let's get straight into it then. So as always, my first question is, would you like to tell us about where you grew up? <laughs> I would love to tell you that. Tell you that. Um, I grew up, across many different countries, as that's a given. I was born in Santa Cruz, Bolivia. My mom is Bolivian and my dad is Dutch. They met in, they're both sociologists, so um, they met when my dad was doing his master's research thesis and my mom was doing her bachelor thesis. And they were both working with the indigenous community back then uh, that was still kind of not uh, integrated into society. Mm -hmm. My dad and my mom fell in love and they stayed. And my dad actually stayed in Bolivia since he was 28 years old, 27, my age now. Um, mm -hmm. Then he's just been moving a, a lot. So I was born in Santa Cruz. After two years, my brother was born. And at the age of three is when my relocation experience started. Um, my dad was posted to Peru, Iquitos, it's a, it's a small, small city in the, almost in the middle of the Amazon, in the, the Peruvian side of the Amazon. Um, uh -huh. Relocated for work, I was three years old and um, I don't recall exactly how my parents broke the news to me. All I remembered was that they promised um, a bike a big bike bicycle was gonna be waiting for me. <laughs> oh, so that was the sweetener. <gasps> Definitely, and I was I was ready to go. I wanted I wanted a bicycle that didn't matter where it was, and we got there and there wasn't a bicycle. <laughs> oh, so the, no. the first thing that we did was actually buy a pink bicycle. I I still remember what it looked like. Um, so in Iquitos. In Peru, um, both my parents were continuing with their work and my brother and I, well, this being a very secluded city back then, now it's still kind of underdeveloped, but back then it was more so. The schooling options were very limited. We had to go, we had either a military school or a religious school owned by nuns, nuns, <laughs> priests. Um, so my brother and I, we were both enrolled in the military kindergarten and then school. At the age of eight, I, we relocated back to Santa Cruz, Bolivia. Um, but, you know, at the age of three, leaving Santa Cruz, when we came back, it was, it was like the first time I was really there. Of course, we were for holidays. Um, but we relocated and we stayed there and I had my family, my, my mom's side of the family, which I'm really close with, um, and enrolled in a private local school. 
in Iquitos, there's this really strong accent when people speak Spanish and the colloquial mm -hmm. term completely different. And the lifestyle, right? I mean, the things that I would do over the weekend in Iquitos were hop on a little boat, go into the Amazon River and start fishing for piranhas or going wow. to... <laughs> exactly. So that was that was a typical weekend adventure for us back there. And then going to Santa Cruz, a much larger city, a lot more densely populated. Um, and well, obviously the age now, I remember being shocked how different life was in a private school in a city that was a lot more developed and well kids having had a completely different upbringing right fishing for piranhas over the weekend was not what they did <laughs> pop culture i wasn't really into it either um so three years and a half into santa cruz so around almost turning 12 we relocated to La Paz in Bolivia. So it's still within Bolivia, but Santa Cruz and La Paz are very different in terms of culture, in terms of people, um, the accent as well, the way people speak. And it's not for nothing that Bolivia is known as the plurimultinational state of Bolivia because diversity there is just immense. It's everywhere. Mm -hmm. um, and we relocated again after three years and a half and it's still being in Bolivia, it didn't feel, we didn't, I didn't expect for it to be such a drastic change. But when I got there, it was, it was a drastic change. Um, there's this societal rivalry between people from La Paz and Bolivia. You know, you go in there with all the stereotypes that people in Santa Cruz have about people in La Paz and then in La Paz you're seen as, oh, you're one of them. Etc. Etc. But in the end, it was mostly all in my head, <laughs> and also I was only twelve. Um, oh, that that tricky age. Exactly. Exactly. And this move also came with the realization on my dad's side that um, uh, relocations were going to be more um, continuous. So he was relocating now as the country director of the NGO that he works with. And that assignment comes with a relocation every three, three and a half years. So with that foreseeable future, um, my parents found themselves in the dilemma of, okay, they've been going to local schools so far, instruction in Spanish curriculum, local curriculum, Spanish curriculum. If we know that we're gonna be moving around so much, um, enrolling them in some form of international school makes the most sense. Mm -hmm. My mom, did her schooling at a German school in Bolivia. That's that's normal there. There's there's a long history of having international German schools there. So she was very fond of the German education system. She was very persistent on let's enroll them in the German school. Um, but then the availability of international German schools worldwide was the concern for my dad. So long story short, enrolled us in an all English speaking American international school. I was enrolling in middle school. This was sixth year, sixth grade. And while there was also the, the changing calendar years, I already had to repeat half a year of um, middle school. That's what came with the transition to international school, but also just the language. Um, I didn't speak any English other than just having one English lesson at school. Oh, tricky. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what made it was that the receiving school said that they didn't offer English language support in middle school. 
they only offered it in primary school. And my brother was enrolling in primary school, so he got it. Um, but for me, it was all up to my parents and I to find an English tutor. And this had to be outside schooling hours. And uh, I had six months to level up my English so that I would be able to proceed on to seventh grade the coming school year. Otherwise, I would have to repeat sixth, sixth grade again. So how did you find that? Because you had the sort of backtracking in terms of having to repeat half a year. But on top of that, you had the, the language um, to get up to speed on. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was a lot. It was a lot of pressure because also being half Dutch myself, <laughs> there was also the pressure to speak Dutch and to learn Dutch. Um, and lots of expectations upon you. <laughs> Definitely. And my dad didn't speak to us in Dutch growing up uh, because for his work, it was really important that he became almost fluent in Spanish. Um, so at home, we speak Spanish. Well, we used to. And the Dutch government has set up small Dutch schools all over the world meant for Dutch expat kids to be able to go and follow Dutch lessons after school, within school. It depended what your schedule looked like. So I was also on the side enrolled at this Dutch weekend school. And um, I had to continue with the Dutch, adapt to a new la uh, language in school, the new curriculum. And I found myself in a position of saying, I just can't, I can't handle the Dutch and the English and the Spanish all at once, knowing the, the pressure and what's at stake with the school. Um, I only have six months to level up. And it wasn't just the language, it was also the curriculum. Um, for example, American history was the, <laughs> the first I was learning about it. And grade, the, the first one of the first exams or quizzes was to write down all the 50 states and all the 50 states with capitals in a map, <laughs> blank map. You had to memorize wow. it all. <laughs> yeah. And I hadn't even. I hadn't even done that for Bolivia, so I was just confused. And um, we made the decision to pause with the Dutch. And um, I really committed myself to just, just speak English. At home, we would only speak English with a tutor. She was a really brilliant tutor and she encouraged me to, to read books, um, to watch movies with subtitles in Spanish. And that just, books weren't working out for me because <laughs> I just was a lazy reader back then, uh, but I was very of lyrics. I loved songs um, in part because of that also being kind of like an emotional outlet, I believe. So I was like, can we do this with song lyrics? And we would do it with song lyrics and the writing assignments would also be with songs and translating songs. It just, we would just tried everything, but my determination to really just speak English was set in stone. So, and, so you had the, the challenges then with the sort of academic side of things and, and the language as well. How did you get on with the kids in what must have felt like quite a different school? Were you able to make friends easily or how was that side of things? My well it was it was difficult for me to make friends already when we moved from Peru to, to Bolivia at the age of eight. Um, 
I like I mentioned pop culture and the way kids socialized it all just didn't any didn't make any sense to me I felt it was super westernized and clicks happened and you had the popular girls you had the very feminine feminine looking girls you had the very boyish looking girls <laughs> I was like where, where where do I fit um so I did experience a lot of back and forth with that trying to find the group of kids that I fit in with the most because I could I realized I fit with all of them I like all of them I mean at the end of the day they're kids and I'm a kid and let's just hang out yeah moving to the international school um I was the new kid so all eyes were on me and I was from Santa Cruz so I was like wow <laughs> she's from Santa Cruz um I didn't have many international classmates most of them were all from La Paz and uh, we most of them knew each other already from kindergarten so everybody was really close um so all eyes were on me and uh, there was a clear divide with girls but I just mingled with everyone and I found myself hanging out with the popular kids and uh for a while it went fine and then you know again pop culture being one of the biggest influences there I started to experience the same type of stereotypical issues that I really had only seen in movies, but then I was living it myself in the school, the whole cafeteria thing, the being able to sit with us, the phone calls and fights and, and you needed to choose sides and then you, you were found in the middle of a drama. <laughs> it was all just, it just, it all just didn't make sense to me and I felt like it was me that was the weird one that mm -hmm. wouldn't lean to all of this just because well to a, to a great extent it also has to do with the upbringing and the values that you know my parents put in me and what matters and so on but also I was very much into swimming I was a swimmer back then which was also not normal for a girl my age to be into swimming I was the tallest girl in the class as well so boys weren't necessarily attracted to me Mm -hmm. uh, so I think a lot of the challenges that I encountered started to maximize the more I dwelled into, well, adolescence, um, but I think that's the, when it was the hardest point for me is exactly when my dad and my mom told us we're moving to Nepal. <laughs> How okay. do you feel? <laughs> yeah. I was 14. I was about to turn 15. Um, oh, the ultra tricky age. <gasps> mm -hmm. Exactly. So it was um, ninth grade. It was towards the, I finished the first half of ninth grade in, in, in Bolivia and then we relocated to Nepal. And when my parents told us we're, we're going to move, how do you feel about it? My brother and I were all said we it couldn't we couldn't have received better news um I think we were both really just not having a good time at that international school that we were ready to leave um but with that now reflecting into it I think I was just ready to leave the school not necessarily the country but a new country was also just a nice plus well, was it a case of your parents saying to you, hey, we're moving, how do you feel about it? Or 
were they asking you how you felt about it before they sort of cemented their decision to move? Um, to my understanding, and this is actually something I talked about with my mom the other day, um, the decision was already made. Um, it was so it was, for most of us, yeah. Yeah, it was really just like a checking moment. How do you think? What do you think about it? Uh, but like I said, I was excited. I was more happy to leave. And my parents were like, oh, great. <laughs> she wants to go. And now looking back at it, it's like, well, that could have also been a good moment to realize why are you so happy to leave? Um, because I would have been leaving behind friendships that I was finally able to establish. I would be leaving behind my family, my with, with whom we all have a really close relationship with. Um, but they didn't really think too much about it. And, and we left. And I remember then my mom being super insisting in reading about Nepal, learning about the culture, looking at maps and finding, figuring out what the streets look like and everything. I was like, no, I don't wanna, I don't wanna do any of this. I wanna get in a plane, land and be surprised. I don't wanna read any. And how I was, was like, it? I, I'm happy I made that decision because the moment we landed, it was just an adventure. Um, I, on, I had zero expectations. I had no uh -huh. idea what it looked like. I had no idea what people ate. I had no idea what the streets looked like. And um, obviously a drastic difference with Bolivia, but I remember passing by as we went from the airport to our home, a lot of the streets looked very similar and the people, facial features look very similar to people in Bolivia. So I was like, hey, not that different after all. Um, until my first day of school, we got picked up in the in the school bus and that was already a, like a new experience for me because school buses were not a thing in, uh -huh. in Bolivia. Um, so that was that was fun for me and we are and the school was quite far away from my home. And it was in the morning, there was always traffic jam. And we had the bus drive for, I don't know, approximately 45 minutes to be able to get from home to school. And uh, the traffic jam was around the market. And I remember my first day of school, I'm looking up on the window and I see a man laying down a, coat, a goat on the, on the side of the road and just chopped the head off. Just, oh. I was shocked. I was shocked with everything that was going on. I just, I just couldn't believe that I had witnessed that. And uh, well, that, that, that's quite a childhood you had there, from fishing with piranhas to um, witnessing goats getting their heads chopped off on the way to school. <laughs> exactly. So I was like, okay, that's interesting. And then, you know, the more I came to learn about the culture, and I, in Bolivia, we don't. I didn't eat goat meat, but in Nepal, they ate it a lot, and, but they didn't eat beef, which in Bolivia is mm -hmm. one of the pieces of meat that you can eat, barbecues. So that's when, that's when my, my adapting to the culture experience adventure started, and I really, really, really enjoyed it. But when I arrived to the school, um, I had told myself, this is it, and this is a new beginning. I'm a new, I'm a new person. 
whoever I was in Bolivia, it's not this. So my first day of school, I had a completely fake persona. Um, obviously, I am from Bolivia and everything was the same, but um, the pop culture, my, my issues with fitting in with the social circles in schools was so influential that I have picked up what are the popular kids' traits, right? What do they do? And they all would go out and drink and smoke. So I was like, okay, I am Anne. I am 14 years old and I, I drink, I smoke, I go to parties. I'm the cool girl. Um, I hang out with the older kids. Uh, I'm also a good student. It was just all just a fake persona. That's and that's how we did the, um, the sort of classic TCK thing of being a chameleon and being able to adapt really quickly in order to fit in. So how do you think that has shaped you as, you know, you've, you've moved on and, and into adulthood? Um, well, I think to a great extent, the it's, it's been a journey. It's definitely been a journey because um, that fake persona that I tried to <laughs> convince myself of as well, mm. uh, ended up getting the best of me. So I really, it really took me a long time to be, first of all, learn who I am as an individual and, and also be okay with that. Um, now as an adult, I am able to reflect back on my experiences in Nepal, in Bolivia, and, uh, and realize that a lot of the things that were going wrong or a lot of my challenges could have been prevented or helped by either the right type of support in the school, uh, more awareness for my parents. And it's not a way of me saying I'm not I wasn't the problem, but something of realizing that there were other people involved in my whole experience that were adults themselves that had the opportunity and to an extent the, the, the responsibility of stepping in and making sure that my experience was as cared for as possible and that my emotional needs were met, that all my essential needs were met. Um, I think reflecting back, part of me feels let down and it's that feeling of feeling let down that has given me the motivation to do something about it now as a professional in the field of working with and for relocating families. Um, ah, so your TCK upbringing has influenced your career as well. Exactly. And, and it's something that I didn't even think about when I chose my master's and when I was foreseeing my, my professional future. Um, but realizing that there are companies out there that um, work with relocating families and the work the company I work with now in the Netherlands, it was just, it was great to realize, hey, I can do something professionally with my personal experiences combined obviously with my academic interests and, and other skills and capabilities in the mix. Um, but I would say that it's, it's shaped me in a way that I, I've reflected a lot on my experiences. And for so long as a kid and as a teenager, I would internalize all those challenges and make myself feel responsible for not being okay. Mm -hmm. um, looking back at it and realizing I was a little too hard on myself as a kid. <laughs> 
to to cope with all of it on my own. So um, I would say I would say that's the biggest influence. And the idea of thinking, I would go back and forth with, do I want to, as a grown up, when I have kids, I'm not going to have my kids move around all the time, right? Because I experienced some bad things that came with it. But now as an adult, realizing all the opportunities that come with it, I'm like, well, that's actually not a bad idea. <laughs> but, um, uh, and also now as, a, as an adult being in the position of, you know, having a fixed job, an employment contract, looking into housing and everything. In, I'm currently living in the Netherlands because after Nepal, I graduated high school in Nepal. I went to the UK for one year uh, and then came to the Netherlands and started my bachelor's. I said, okay, bachelor's, I'm going to do my master's and I'm off. I'm out of the Netherlands. I'm going to go to some country and work there. Um, but I stayed and the Netherlands is the country that I've been living in the longest. I'm reaching now, I think, eight years. Mm -hmm. And uh, so without realization, I've been living a semi-stable life, but I never sat down and thought, do I really see myself here forever? And, um, and at some moments I'm like, yeah, but then as soon as I say, yeah, I'm scared. And it's something that I'm not necessarily, I don't feel ready for, but then at the same time, it's just, it's just one more chapter in my life that is coming up. And if it's not coming up now, it will come up at some point. And, and it's a question of feeling ready for it. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm on that journey right now of seeking for stability and figuring out what that means for me. Um, because to me, stability comes with a lot of commitments. And it's also one of the challenges from living a mobile life that um, it's not been there. Um, commitment to, you know, friendships, relationships. It's just, it's just always not been forever. So um, it's a, it's a bittersweet, sweet realization or thought that comes with it um sorry but yeah so you're in the netherlands now and you are half dutch half bolivian and you've lived in different places including bolivia where feels like home for you mm, i asked my dad that the other question the other day because well he also you know has been away from the Netherlands since he's my age and now he's reaching 60. Um, and it was interesting, his response was, we have this painting that has come with us in every single move. And to him, it was like home to me is wherever this painting is at, wherever this painting is hanging, that's home. And as soon as he said that, I realized for me, it's kind of the same. For me, home is wherever I, I have very strong memories there. Um, and, but there's also this mobile home of wherever my family is at, and my, my, my close family, my mom, my dad, and my brother. Um, so I would have to say wherever my family goes, but then that's also not entirely true because when I graduated in Nepal, I went to the UK and my family moved on to Tanzania. 
but I had never lived in Tanzania. So I was like, is, so <laughs> is Tanzania now home because my parents are living there or, or what? <laughs> it wasn't the because I was there alone in college. So, um, but there was something about going back there. And actually one of the reasons why I'm moving back to, to the city where my parents are living, because it does, it does fulfill me with a level of um, happiness. And, and I, I don't know, it's a lot more internal and deeper than I thought, than I thought it would be, but it's uh, the idea of being close to, to people that I, that I grew up with and that I understand, but also, um, yeah, I, to answer the question, it, I'm still struggling with the, the concept of home, but mm -hmm. um, I feel at home wherever I am understood. Um, and it has to be the Netherlands for now because it is the place where I have been feeling where I've learned a lot more about myself, um, where I've, my whole journey of coming to terms with my TCK childhood has taken place here in the Netherlands. So it's not so much of the memories I have with the country, it's more about the experiences uh, that come with it and what mark has that left behind. Nepal has a very, very special place in, in my heart. <laughs> yeah. Because although the experience wasn't super great, looking back at it, it is an experience that has contrib contributed to who I am today. And, and I'm forever gonna consider Nepal a very special place. Um, and well, my family is there, uh, but when I go back and visit them, I definitely feel like an outsider. And I, it's just to be expected. The country has changed drastically. Um, that my, my bond is really just with the people I love. Um, wherever they are, I'll feel at home. Mm, and I love what you said just in there about um, home is where you feel understood. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's super important. That's nice. Yeah. And uh, I did say before we spoke prior to recording that the time would fly by, and indeed it has. We have just a couple of minutes left, and as usual, I like to and wrap up these sessions on a positive note. So would you like just briefly to tell me about one of the most positive things you found about being a TCK? Um, well, I think the having the possibility to, to use my personal experiences for the greater good of, <laughs> of current TCK. I never, I never saw the life that I lived as something that wasn't anything other than privilege. Um, I grew up with that idea, this is a privilege and I'm forever grateful for it, but that's it, it's just a privilege. I need to you know, find a profession. I'll be a psychologist or I'll be an engineer, but I never connected the dots of my, my experience actually being something that can greatly shape and influence what I choose to do as a professional. Mm -hmm. And I never thought of that being a possibility. And so I think, it's, I think it has to do with that. It's, it's realizing that after all the challenges, 
at the end of the day, everything that I managed to, all the qualities that come with that experience, I'm living, I'm living the, the good side of it. And uh, proud, feeling proud of myself is one of the things that I never really felt growing up. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It just, I didn't know what to feel proud of because like I said, I was under the impression that this is all just a privilege that I have been given. Um, but to be able to make something out of the life experiences and what I've witnessed and, and my relationships, my the skills that I've developed um, and make something, turn something that into a profession and in turn it being a profession that fulfills me and makes me happy. I think that's one of the greatest gifts. It's um, not everybody has a job that they feel a personal engagement with or a, pe- a personal fa- uh, passion towards and and I do um, and that's brilliant and I have to <laughs> because I, I'm now I found similar something where you know we've both found the thing that where we can use our experiences and help others that have been through similar Anna thank you so much for your time today it's been so nice talking with you thank you so much Jen it's it's, it really went by super fast. So I hope I didn't <laughs> ramble too much. Not at all. They always but Thank you. Thanks for listening to People Like Us. If you'd like to join an online community full of people like us, hop over to Facebook and search for People Like Us. You'll find my group and you're very welcome to join us. <laughs>